I did all all the hard work, crunching the numbers, looking at the financial statements and understanding the business model. But where my analysis was deficient is I ignored some red flags on corporate governance. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I've created from the lessons I've learned from more than 470 guests. It's time you start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Atul Seti. Atul, are you ready to join the mission? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's great to have you on board. Let me introduce you to the audience. Atul is the founder and managing partner of Farnham Tree, an investment advisor based in Bangkok, which is currently under pre-licensing. After graduating from the University of Chicago, he spent 12 years at Credit Suisse in the Chicago, Singapore, and Bangkok offices. He started as a junior investment banker and and has been a bank analyst in their Thai equity research team. Atul left Credit Suisse this year and is focused now on Farnham Tree. And in fact, we have a little inside story that Atul was an intern with me in 2006. My goodness, so much has happened since then. <laughs> Why don't you fill in a little bit of tidbit for the, for the listeners about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, summer of 2006, I very vividly recall being an intern under you uh, at City Equity Research in Bangkok and thinking, my goodness, how did these guys wake up so early every single morning and, and do this? It was also during the, during the World Cup, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a big football fan. So that decisions from back then, whether to stay up late and watch the games or, or pay the price the next morning <laughs> when I entered the office, I had no idea at that time that I would be that I'd be doing the exact same job much later in my career. But it was, it was a great insight into the industry. And I also, I also remember how all of you in the office brought your A-game every day. And that, 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 taught, me, that taught me a lot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, mem- good memory going back there. And most of the- some of the people, at least, that are in that office are still very close business partners with myself. You mentioned one, Sonsak, we talked about earlier. He and I have worked together now for more than 20 years. And, you know, a lot of the people that were in that office have been friends for many, many years. So it was a fun time. And I think one of the things I loved about being an analyst and being a head of research is bringing the energy into the yeah. room and bringing it to the client, bringing it to the salespeople into the team. And, you know, I just loved uh, every, I loved almost everything about the job of being an equity analyst. Yeah. The, the first half, the first half of my career at Credit Suisse as a junior investment banker meant a very different life. A lot of it was, it was about cranking out pitch books 
updating things as fast as possible. You learn a ton, you know, very steep learning curve. But it was, I would say it was only after I moved over to equity research did I then get an appreciation for the analytical side of things and and what you can what you can learn from slowing down and digging through. So I, I very much what you say about that very much resonates with me. I was lucky to be part of our Credit Suisse's Thailand research team here, which is you know highly ranked at full of all-stars and I learned everything I know today from them. Yeah, it's uh, crazy how, how it's, you know, 2006, I was in, I was an intern with you, did the same job in the same city 10 plus years later. And here we are speaking now, you know, I've noticed from afar the work that you're doing in helping people highlight highlight lessons that people have learned. I've made mistakes along the way. So I hope to to be able to contribute to that. Well, you are right now <laughs> contributing to the mission. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So this, the one instance that I... I remember and would like to share was around five, six years ago when I did move after I moved back to Thailand and I was based here and had a go at at single stock investing. And, you know, my my approach to to finding a business to own was very much I tried to adopt, you know, the Buffett owner mindset to find a company with a big moat, huge competitive advantage, everything that that ticks ticks those boxes. So in Thailand, one one business where where you get that is in retail. I won't mention the specific ticker or the company, but I'll share in the convenience store format, there's really only one big daddy in Thailand. So for me, looking at looking at that business, seeing the the monopolistic nature that that they were able to operate with very easy to understand business high returns on capital, being around a very long time, seemed like a slam dunk to me at the time. Now, the reason that I, I highlight this is, as, being, as being a grave mistake is not, not so much because I lost a ton of money on it, but rather because I glossed over one of the things that, that is, is very important in assessing a, a business, and especially if you want to take the view of a of a long-term owner. And that's that's looking at, at the people and, and corporate governance. So in, in this particular instance, I did all, all the hard work, crunching the numbers, looking at the financial statements and understanding the business model. But where my analysis was deficient is I ignored some red flags on corporate governance. There was an insider trading issue that involved, you know, involved one of members of senior management. That's something that should have caught my eye. And there are also other instances either within that company or within the group where where you see questionable corporate governance and decisions that make you wonder whether we as minority shareholders are being taken advantage of or whether or whether our interests are being aligned with the promoters. So I, I realized that the hard way 
<laughs> I realized that the hard way. And then after I did, I decided that it's time to sell and you can do something else with your money, you know, find another business that, that ticks the boxes. I made another mistake on the way out, which is which is your classic anchoring bias mistake, which is, you know, I bought the stock at say a hundred dollars and it was at 90 and I was telling myself, oh, I'll wait until it goes back up to a hundred and then sell. You give me a, a time capsule. I'd like to go back and slap myself for that. But it was, it was really, you know, so it's more than one lesson that, that you end up learning. I feel through experiences like this. And that one was don't anchor to the price this is a ownership stake in a business that's quoted at some price on the market. If you're, you know, if those funds are better off in cash or better off in another business, it really shouldn't matter what your purchase price was. Hmm. So how would you describe it? Is that the lessons that you learn how for the listener out there? Yeah. The, the two big lessons is one is, is not paying attention to the people. Yep. And the other one was suffering from, from a behavioral bias yep. that is very easy for all of us to succumb under. Maybe I'll share a couple of things. I know one of the things as an analyst since 1993, particularly back in the old days when it was the only people that would talk to you when you were an analyst in the early 90s or mid 90s was, you know, the punters that were at the brokers. So the punters would come to the brokers and they'd sit there all day. And so when an analyst would come down, you know, they'd want to ask you all kinds of questions. But the most common question was, I bought this stock at 100. It's down to 40 now. What should I do? And, you know, before, if you just ask them some more questions, they're going to tell you, I'm planning on waiting until it gets to 100 to sell it. And yeah. uh, it's such a common bias. And I think that the lesson that I learned from all that is that I like to use zero-based thinking, whereas mm -hmm. saying, okay, imagine that that money is cash right now. Would I deploy it into that company? Does that company has the, have the best prospects over the next three to six months? And that's the way I try to solve that particular problem. The other thing that you talk about corporate governance in Asia is kind of interesting because, you know, in America, when you think about corporate governance, it's like a bad CFO or a bad CEO where they're taking advantage in a public company or whatever. But when you think about Thailand and Asia, you just think that, you know, there's, there's corruption throughout many companies throughout, and there's families running almost all of these companies. Mm. And they're, some of them are siphoning stuff or before the company was listed, they may have done a lot of that. And so it becomes a lot more complicated because it's, it's a lot more difficult to find like a, a perfectly clean company. And therefore, you're stuck in a situation where sometimes you will ride with some sort of corporate governance issue that you may not tolerate if you were investing in, let's say, a Western market, but you may kind of have to tolerate in a market like Thailand or maybe China or whatever. If you say, I'm never going to invest in anything where there's a corporate governance issue, it's very, very few. And that just is a dilemma that, you know, you made me think about. And, you know, there is, uh, there's a lot to it. So anything you would add to that? 
I very much agree. I think it's a tough pill to swallow to go, everything else is great. All the boxes are ticked, but there's something I can't get comfortable on, you know, on, on corporate governance and, and therefore it's, it's okay. I think when, when it's an item like this, in more instances than not, it's, it's not okay. Yep. Because the world is auction driven markets are super unpredictable and investors are open up, open our, we open ourselves up to so many different variables that can impact both business fundamentals and, and valuation. This is, this is, you know, to put this on top, I think, you know, can, can really exacerbate the risks yep. whereby it's something you're not comfortable with, then it's much easier to just put it to the side because there's many ways to skin a cat as far as investing goes. But I think for one of the best strategies is the one that you can go to sleep at night soundly with yeah. going to sleep at night, wondering whether you're going to wake up and see, see a headline of, you know, related to corporate governance is, is not, is not something that is not a position that I would like to put myself in. And I think that that's something that, that is not too difficult to avoid if you do the work. Yep. Yep. Yeah. In this case that you're talking about, which I happen to know about, it was so brazen, you know, that, uh, yeah, it's hard to avoid. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah. I'd say the overarching lesson is to be objective and the way that the way that has helped me, and I think the way that can help that help listeners or, or anybody, is to just just write things down, write things. Whether it's journaling or just these are the reasons why I like, why I don't like. You can't lie to yourself if you're writing something on a piece of paper. Excellent advice for the listeners out there. You know, having a notebook, having a place that you write it down, that you can go back to in reference. I think it's really, really great advice. So. What's one resource that you'd recommend to our listeners, you know, that they could benefit from? Well, I spoke a bit about, about biases and the behavioral side. There is a series of investing books called The Little Book of Something. There is one that's The Little Book of Behavioral Investing, written by James Montier. That is my gem. <laughs> that's and, a great one. You know, the anchoring bias that I spoke about, that's one of several things. It's a short book and that would be like the one thing that, the, the one resource that I would highlight that's very easy to digest and relatable for anybody interested in, in these subjects. We have, I have a reading list up on our Farnham Tree website. We're given our, our current status and, and process in applying for a license with the regulators. There's not too much information on it but there's a reading list there of books and and some resources that that have greatly helped me and i i would you know, encourage anybody to look at that james montier's book is there and, and so is like peter lynch the greatest takeaway or lesson that i learned from peter lynch and, and his teachings is invest in what you know yeah. and that ties back to that ties back to being able to sleep well at night because if I'm invested in, I don't know, some hydrogen fuel, some 
new technology that sounds really, really sexy, but if I have no idea how it works, that's 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 a recipe for disaster. Mm. Yep, great advice. And we'll have a link to the website in the show notes so you can go and check out the the book list and reading list. I think your recommendations are spot on. And Peter Lynch, the thing that always got me about Peter Lynch was that like, if you think about Buffett or if you think about Benjamin Graham, they were kind of focused in on one thing and things like, you know, buying things at a deep discount. And yeah. okay, Buffett started to change from that high quality companies. Mm-hmm. But Peter Lynch just looked at anything. And he built this eclectic portfolio <laughs> of things that, now, I mean, you could look at Buffett's portfolio and say, yeah, he's got a very different things, Coca-Cola, and he's got a train company. But with, with all of those have the same thing in common, high quality brand, a moat, a really high gross margin. But Peter Lynch was just like into anything. And if it was just in a, an uptip in, <laughs> in, a, in an industry, he may ride that for three years and then he's out. So he was really, really amazing. So great, great recommendations there. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Would be to, to get our licensing you know, set up, get our, our structure and everything ready so that we can share our service with, you know, with investors in Thailand and, and hopefully present a, a solution or, or a way of, of investing and, and managing portfolios that, that addresses some of the problems that I personally faced for the, you know, most of the last decade being in this country. So I'd say that that's our main goal for the next 12 months. But I would say outside of, of that, you know, strictly professional vision would be to continue learning and, you know, continue the reading. It never stops. Mm. So to just, just keep on hitting the bat. Yep. That's exciting. So, uh, yeah, keep, keep learning. That's the challenge for all of us. I mean, every single episode I do, I learn more. I did my PhD when I was 50 years old, and I'm constantly reading and nowadays, you know, you find yourself reading medical research to understand what's happening <laughs> and all of that stuff. So keep reading. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Atul, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and into our mission. On behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you <laughs> alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, thank you very much for having me. This is a bit like a blast from the past. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I am and have been a, a consumer of your podcast and the content for, for a very long time. And I've learned a lot from that. I, and I, as I mentioned to you before we started, the breadth of material and, and the examples that you have is, is truly awesome. So uh, I hope more and more people get access to it and, and learn from it. Boom. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is about one guest, one story, one mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on 
the upside.